those very simple things. This morning, if you'd turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to finish that chapter. And For you moms, I don't know of a larger group of leaders that we should honor than our moms today. It is the toughest job on earth. I, I love the story of a young 15-year-old boy who comes home from school and immediately runs upstairs and finds his mother in bed and they're staring at his mom. They're, she is completely debilitated and covers up to her neck. And he says, Mom, do you not feel well? And she says, No, I'm very, 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 very sick. And he looks very kindly at her and says, Well, don't worry about dinner. I'll carry you to the stove. Or one of my favorite Spanish proverbs that an ounce of mom is worth a pound of clergy. That one's true. We want to thank you. If you're here, you're a mom, a grandmother, uh, a mother waiting to be, a stepmom, whatever. We, we honor you today. Uh, it's your day. We are so grateful. And thank my sweetheart for my two precious boys. Love you. Turn, as you now are gazing there in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the second part of a study that I've entitled Looking for Leaders. This is part two. And as I shared with you last time we were together, one of the things that we need to be very careful not to do with these pastoral epistles is go, well, it just pertains to pastors or elders or deacons or leaders within the church and then skip over them. Because at the heart of this, we're going to find this morning a very important fact that all of these things that are being said are impossible apart from the work of Christ in your life. If we assign criteria of any kind to people, ultimately we're going to fail at some point in time. So they're not intended to be, well, here's the list, you didn't meet number seven, so you're out. What's really being shown to us here is the depth of growth that ought to occur in a person's life if they want to be used in a greater way for the kingdom. It's so important for us to understand, in fact, that in essence, the list is repeated here, now for a different group, deacons. And I would remind you in the strictest sense of that particular word, it was used in the first century church to, in essence, distinguish between those who were responsible for the teaching in the church, would have been the elders, the overseers, our modern-day pastors, and those who would handle the things that were more practical in nature, the deacons would take care of, in essence, the operation of the church. They would be in charge of money. They, they would have been in charge of facilities. They would have also been in charge of making sure that the widows in the church were taken care of. A very, very, very spiritual position. It happened to have a different focus. We could look at it in our modern context in a pastoral sense, maybe the difference between a senior pastor and an assisting pastor who happens to be chiefly an administrator. But rather than make those pure distinctions, I think it's important that we realize there's some commonality here that's good for all of us. It isn't just pastors. It isn't just leadership. These are the goals that each one of us should be reaching towards every day of our lives as we grow 
in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we become more like Him. We need to understand that this world desperately needs Jesus. They don't need Jeff. They desperately need Jesus. They don't just need church. They desperately need Jesus. They do not need a denomination. They desperately need Jesus. They don't simply need religion. And if we're going to lead people, we want to lead them to Christ. We don't want to simply lead them to Calvary Chapel. We don't want to lead them to a person. We want to lead people to Christ. The beauty is is that there's all manner of different ways to accomplish that goal and task, and everyone can have a part in it. Because as I shared with you, these principles first must be undertaken at home. I prayerfully could say of these things that as a husband they are true, as a father they are true, as a son they are true. And from there it branches out into the world in all kinds of different places. Each of you has an opportunity to present the great mystery which is godliness to this world. And it is just that. It's a mystery. It's an amazing thing that God could take flawed and frail human instruments such as us, such as me, and use us to tell people about Jesus, to show people about Jesus. Do you recognize every day that you are the voice of Jesus? You are the hands of Jesus. You're the healing touch of Jesus. You're the great provision of the Lord Jesus. You are, in fact, the way the world even understands who Jesus is. And I pray as we study this passage this morning that we'll not look past it simply to leaders, but we'll look at it and ask, Lord, here am I. Send me. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you first for our moms who are here today. And Lord, what a difficult task it is to lead in the home. Lord, we ask a special blessing upon those who are here. We, we pray that you would just anoint their day. And Father, as we now study your word, would you bring it sense and meaning to us? Would you guide us and direct us? Would you cause us to focus in on the depths of your love? Lord, would it be said of us that these things are true? We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your blessings. And we pray now that your word would become alive to us. Cause us to receive it with gladness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in 1 Timothy 3. And likewise, deacons must be reverent. And I would remind you that that word that's translated there, reverent, is really not reverent. It is actually sober-minded. It's more serious would actually be a better word. Because the deacons were going to be in charge of, in essence, the property of the church. They were, they were going to make sure that people's needs were met. And it's a serious task. When I look at this church, we have a board of elders who happen to also be the deacons of this church. And as we sit and oversee the things of the church, there is a tremendous seriousness to it. 
That's how those needs are met. It's the reason that right now, as you sit here, we have a team that's in Alabama that are ministering to those who are the victims of those tornadoes. There are serious things to undertake in leadership in the church. We need to be careful that we do that with the same type of seriousness with which those things present themselves in the world. Because the world is full of things that are difficult. As we sang, those, by the way, are the words of Job. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you know the other part of that passage? The question that Job asked, Shall I receive good from the Lord and not evil? You know, so very often when we look at leadership in the church and leadership in this world, we forget that there's a lot of tough things that have to be dealt with. A lot of difficulty that has gone through. And he goes on now and gives this long list of characteristics. I'll remind you that they are principally the same as those for the office of pastor, elder, teacher. Not double-tongued, and that means exactly what it says. It means that you don't say one thing to one person and something else to another. That there is a consistency in the speech of that person. That their words are true. Their yes is yes and their no is no. Not given to much wine nor greedy for money. And as we covered those things last week, we'll briefly reiterate them this week. But can I remind you, it's very clear what's being said here. You see, I'm going to have a tough time ministering to somebody who struggles with alcohol if I struggle with alcohol. Amen? I'm going to have a tough time talking to people about their finances if mine are not in order or if I am spending money like it's water. You see, if I'm going to be in leadership, if you're going to be in leadership, if you're going to pass this, in essence, this standard or this list and say these are the things that ought to be true in a leader's life, then you'll notice that they are the things that we discussed last time. They're moderation, they're temperance, they're hitting the middle road in all things. Because Scripture speaks very authoritatively on many of these issues. For do you not know that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil? That's a plain instruction to the church. Do you realize that Jesus talked more about money than He did about hell? Longer discourses about how we handle our treasure. You see, we need to have those things in view if we want to be in leadership. Notice what he says next, and you're going to see the word mystery twice in this passage. Holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. The mystery of faith, in essence, the easiest way for you to understand it, is it is all that the Scriptures contain about who we are in Christ Jesus. In other words, your whole life as it's addressed by the Scriptures. The mystery of faith in clear conscience means to not only hear the Word, but to understand the Word, then to present the Word to the world in a clear and concise way so that your conscience is clear that I have nothing in my life that is contrary to the Word of God. Now, having said that, is there anyone in this room, myself included, that actually meets that standard to perfection? The answer is no. I would willingly admit that. 
I am not perfect, and neither are any of you. But I do have a clear conscience, because I do believe that to as much as it lies with me, these things are true. And when I know what God's Word says, that's exactly what I do. So this mystery of the faith with a pure conscience is one part of the great mystery, which we'll get to in a minute. Because using your name or using my name and then following it with godliness is pretty much an oxymoron, isn't it? Because when I think of me, you think of you, you know you, I know me. There are some things there that we probably would not want to put on a PowerPoint slide. Amen? There's a handful of things that you could think of that it's just like, no, I I really don't want anybody to know that I actually think that. Or maybe that I did that or I said that. But do you realize that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, God views you as His only, His children? That He sees you in the, in the purity of a sinless life of Christ Jesus? That you have godliness because of what Christ did on Calvary's cross? And let me help you understand it even further. A Buddhist can deny himself of all kinds of things and go sit on a rock someplace and contemplate their navel. And not do anything bad. So it's not about just not doing bad things. Amen? At the same time, because nobody's around, you probably aren't going to say much that's going to be bad. Amen? You can get all kinds of religion. You could spend all day in church. And still have no godliness in you apart from Christ. It's only Christ in you that's that hope of glory, isn't it? The whole thing hinges on your relationship with the Lord. So the chief criteria of someone in leadership is they got to be saved. They can't just simply be good at stuff. One of the great problems in church is that we often promote people who are just simply gifted in some area, but they have not an ounce of spirituality. There's no Christ in them. They may have a lot of money. They might be a good business person. They may have some giftings. But the chief characteristic of leadership in the church is a clear conscience before God and godliness in practice and principle in that person's life. It should be visible. goes on, but let these things first also be tested and then let them serve as deacons. In other words, you should be able to examine that person's life. You should be able to look at their life and go, yep, absolutely does that. That's why I've said to you so many times it's so important that my life, your life, anyone in leadership's life, whether it's the leader of one or ten or a hundred or a thousand, that you be able to examine that person's life and say they are acting like Jesus there. I want you to also notice the goal of husbands there in Ephesians chapter 5. It says there, That husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. The goal is to be like Jesus. It's not to simply have a bunch of rules and regulations and orders that someone follows. It's not the Lord over. It is to be a picture of the Lord Jesus in every way, shape, or form. It can be tested. It's very clear in life. 
why if I'm telling you we need to have respect for those who are in authority. So when Officer Rodman is following me at night, he I should be going less than the speed limit or someplace close to it. You know, it's not going to be doing me any good to tell, well, you know, you guys need to follow the laws of the land. And then there I'm doing 85 miles an hour on the rim. That's why I only do 82. No, it, it, it has to be true in practice and principle, not just word. Amen? Nobody believes a word you say if what you do doesn't match up. You will always believe what you do over what you say. Test it, then let them serve as deacons. Being found blameless. And again, that's a tough circle, that one. That is a tough standard to meet, isn't it? Blameless means exactly what it says. No right to accusation is what it means. That if someone were to test your life and look at your life, to be in leadership means that they should find nothing to accuse you of. That's tough. That's why when people come, they say, well, you know, what, what do I need to do to be in leadership? I've been going to the church for three weeks. I say, well, let's just wait and see how you react with people. But let's see how you handle the people you don't like. Let, let's see how you respond to those things which are not going to bring you a whole lot of glory or praise. It's one of the things that bring me such a delight when I see you all showing up when we do our Lighter World Festival and there's 70 people to help. You don't get any glory for that. You just get to serve Jesus. Those are keys to leadership. Just doing and being what God's called us to be. He says, likewise, their wives. And that is a poor translation. If you have the King James, if you have the New King James, that word that's translated their wives is actually not wives. It actually says women. It's in the context of the deacons. And so... The translators left the word wives there, but that isn't actually what it says. And I can show you that women do and often serve in the capacity uh, that's mentioned here. It's not exclusive to men. We have, in essence, some deaconesses here in this church. My wife happens to be one of them. She's, our, in essence, our church accountant. She does things that need to be done. And they have to do with the operation of the church. So she falls into this category. I can also tell you that we have, right now, women teaching your male children. <gasps> Horrors! For those legalists in the crowd. Because those are little mini men. And they're being taught by a woman. So there is a place for women in leadership in the church. The role of pastor, very clear that that belongs to men. But that has principally to do with the headship issues of being able to teach Scripture authoritatively. So if I'm teaching a biblical stance on marriage, Scripture is pretty clear that the husband is supposed to lead his wife. But that doesn't mean in an era of superiority. It doesn't mean that she's a doormat. It means that he is supposed to be Jesus first before he teaches his wife to do said same. It's just a matter of order. It's not a matter of value. 
Wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. It's given in context there. This was spoken to those in a society where women did not do these things. Christ set women free, as I shared with you a few weeks ago. It's only in Christ Jesus that we find that value in God's perfect plan for each gender. And so it's here in context. Ruling their children and their own houses well. Notice that criteria again. Why would you ever give a position of leadership to someone who can't lead their own home? Why would you ever give financial stewardship to someone who can't manage their own finances? Why would you have someone in a position of leadership to where they're going to be distributing to the needs of others when they don't take care of the needs of their own family? It's very clear what's being said here. If you want to be in leadership, you need to have your act together. It doesn't mean perfect, but it means to not be blameless. It means to have a good conscience in these things. It means that if someone were to deeply look, to introspect, in essence, your own self, or to have someone else to examine, they would largely find these things to be true. You see, I can't teach you any further than I myself have gone. I I can't present a truth to you and then say, well, but I'm exempt. That's why Scripture declares it is best that not many of you be pastors, for know this, you will suffer the greater judgment. In other words, the more you know, the more responsible you are for what you know. And it's certainly true for someone like me that spends a large part of my time studying God's Word. When I get to heaven, I'm not really, you know, I'm kind of like, Lord, I hope hope and pray I, I took that time. That's a scary thing. Their own houses, well, for those who, are, who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and with great boldness and faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, my standing is because of who I am in Christ. Amen? It's not because of some degree. I have met pastors who gave their life to Christ after they became a pastor. I can name them by name. They went to seminary, they finished the course of study, they got their degree, they went and interviewed someplace, and it was like every other job. Scripture declares that it's supposed to be true in our lives. It doesn't matter what shingle you have on your wall. I have met pastors who have absolutely no gifting whatsoever from the Lord. And it's rather tragic, to be quite frank. And I've met pastors that have absolutely no schooling that can teach your ears off. It's about how much Jesus is in you. It's how much glory you bring to the Lord. It's Him in you. It's His name that is above every other name. It's His name that is the source, the benefit of growing in Christ Jesus. And these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you might know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. So it's very clear he's saying, you know what, if I don't make it, I just want to give you some guidelines. I want the church to know how to function. 
I'm giving you some things that you can practice so that when the world looks at the church, because the world is looking at the church, amen? Man, it's staggering how many black eyes the Lord has because the world's looking at the church. Because the church isn't acting like Jesus. That's why these great falls that have occurred over the years are so painful to kingdom things, to the name of the Lord. Quite frankly, I don't care what evangelistic organization you belong to. It doesn't really matter to me. But I can tell who gets the black eye when one of those people fall. When their life is put under the microscope and they're hiring male prostitutes. I can tell you what that does to the kingdom. When it's revealed that that pastor has multiple, multiple million dollar homes. When that deacon is in charge of those things and they don't make it to the people. They're used for the purpose and pleasure of some person as opposed to the people that they were intended for. It's a high calling. I want to have that boldness and faith, and the church should know how to conduct itself. It says, in which is the church of the living God, and the pillar and ground of truth. The church is supposed to be the pillar of truth. It's supposed to be the place where we all come and prayerfully you hear the Word of God and I've done nothing but give it sense and some meaning, maybe put it into a modern context for you so that you can take it then and apply it to your life. It is not a new truth. What I teach to you this morning is not something new. It's something very old. It's something that should be true in every church that the leaders of the church should be as Christ is. And verse 16, as Paul closes this chapter as he writes to Timothy, notice what it says, and again uses the Greek word mysterion. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. You know, when you look at people in the world, you can't help but see and remember and think on the things that they used to be apart from Christ. Amen? Does it not amaze you? Is it not a mystery that God could use people such as us to accomplish His plan and purpose? People such as me. I can tell you that there's no greater amazement in my own life than the fact that God would choose to use me. That God would somehow clean up something. You see... As we've said so many times, what we used to be is not what we currently are. Amen? We are growing in Christ Jesus. We are on a journey. Scripture declares it the renewing of our minds. Declares it the the work of godliness in us. That hope that's in us in Christ Jesus. It's these things that are working in us to will and to do as is the good pleasure of the Lord. That to me is a mystery that God would use people. He'd have a whole bunch less problem with Labrador Retrievers. They just wag their tail and do whatever you tell them to do. People, not so much. Oh, I know the Word of God says that, but it doesn't apply to me. I don't believe that part. I don't want to do that part. You know, if you live with my wife or you live with my husband, you'd understand why I'm not doing that part. Great is the mystery of godliness. 
You know, my dad did this, or my mom did that, or society did that, or I applied for this and didn't get it. We all have our excuses as to why we should see a diminished amount of godliness in us. Great is the mystery of godliness. How God works out that pleasure from its simple nucleus, from the beginning where you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and from that day you increase in godliness until you go home to be with the Lord. That is a mystery. How God accomplishes that plan is staggering to even think on. And you look at your own life and you realize what you used to be and you can see how God has already done such amazing things. And we have no reason to believe He won't do even greater things than these, exactly as His Word declares. And so all of a sudden you find yourself, I don't even know how I got here. Great is the mystery of godliness. The Lord's just done this work. So very often I'll talk to Pastor Chuck and we'll just... When I came on staff at Calvary Costa Mesa, we had one conference center. It was in Twin Peaks. We now have six of them. They're all over the world. There's, you know, we've got a high-rise office building with all kinds of Christian businesses and, you know, corporate headquarters and all. Great is the mystery of godliness. He doesn't know how it happened. The word of the Lord going forth, radio stations, all these things, these are all part of the the mystery of godliness working out in in the world. How the Lord does these things. This church, we have missionaries all over the place. We have ministries that are being supported from this church all over the world. How does God do that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. As each person takes these things as a believer in Christ Jesus and applies them, then you do your part using the gifts God's given you. And I do my part using the gifts God's given me. And we work together as the body of Christ to accomplish things that individually we could never accomplish, but corporately we can, because great is the mystery of godliness. And I want you to notice it's very clear who's being talked about here. And says, God, if you have the New King James, could I remind you that also is a poor translation. It actually says who. It says who. That's the Greek word that's used there. And I love, actually I much prefer the word who. Who was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. It's pretty clear who the who is. Amen? Dr. Seuss did not invent the who bill thing. (laughs) Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the all-encompassing term? Who, being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to make himself equal to God, but instead took upon himself the form of a servant, even to the death on the cross. You see, the who is God at work in this world through Jesus Christ in you and in us. The who is God's work in us. And only God can do that. And it only comes through Jesus Christ. God does the work. You see, it's the Lord working in our lives. If the Lord weren't at work in my life, I wouldn't be here. If the Lord weren't at work in you, you wouldn't be saved. 
If the Lord were not at work in this world, people would not be getting saved. You see, the who encompasses virtually everything about the Lord. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all at work to accomplish His will and good pleasure in this world. And so he says, deacons, those who would seek to work in that practical role in the church, these things need to be true. We have to hold, the NIV says, these deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. This mystery has to be something that is part of us. It's not just knowledge. One of the things that's always troubling for me when I share with people who are bent intellectually Because very often you can give them a good argument. People don't come to Christ specifically because of just good argumentation. Because if it were about arguing, then somebody could probably talk them out of it as well. It's about a relationship with the true and the living God. Through Christ Jesus as Lord. And so that mystery is that God knows how to reach each person according to who they are. How God works in me, He may not work that same way in you. But the glorious news is, the same gospel that saves me is the same gospel that saves you. The same gospel that's still at work in this world. And that's a mystery. It's mind-boggling to think how many people get saved from a simple presentation of the truths of the gospel. I just know that I know that I know. We need to hold on to that truth, the the oneness, the, the triune facet of God, the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, His ministry, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and the ransom that Christ paid for us. That is a mystery. God died for you. That's a mystery. Very often I get asked to explain those types of things as a pastor. Well, can you explain to me the Trinity? I usually say, no. Well, of course I say Yes. And you use, you know, all kinds of... One of my favorites is a piece of paper. It's a piece of paper. You take away any of the dimensions of it, it ceases to be a piece of paper. It has length and width and thickness. Take away any of them, it doesn't work anymore. It's no longer any of them. So in the same way, God is God. Jesus is God. Holy Spirit is God. Take away any of them, they all cease to be God. But yet individually, they must exist for God to be God. Now, did I confuse you? It's a mystery. We don't know everything while we're on this earth. But we do know that Christ is working in us. And we can see that every day in lots of very practical ways. Everything from the speech you used to use, the mind you used to think with, the things you used to occupy your time with, all of those things now not being the same any longer. It's a mystery. You didn't go through a program. You got saved. And all of a sudden, God began to work in your life because you gave your life to Christ. The Holy Spirit was now empowering you from the inside to have victory over things that you never could have conquered apart from Christ in you. It's a mystery. And that's really the key thing that we look for in leaders, is this Christ working in that person's life. They're not just saved, they're actually exhibiting the gifts of the Spirit. They're using those things in the world. And it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, the criteria is the same. 
Is God at work in you? Are you using those things that God's done in your life for His glory? You see, from the standpoint of this passage of Scripture, He's just simply trying to draw attention to the main fact that if we want to be used in this world of the Lord, we need to be like Jesus. We need to have those truths in our lives that we can hold on to. Go, you know what? I know my life has a very high set of standards. And again, I don't want anybody to walk away in some kind of legalistic bondage. It's not saying that if you, you know, use some kind of language you shouldn't have used or if you've stumbled in what you thought this week that you'll never be used in leadership. That's not what's being said here. But it is saying that the standard's Christ. And you hold on to that with a conscience. You go, you know what? I can be more like Jesus in that area of my life and be open to change. So you know what? I, I, God, you, I need you to work in me. I want your plan and your purpose in my life. You see, Paul himself was one of those guys that his life, you could look at it and you can say he lived it. We've been studying Paul and his life on Wednesday nights. We're approaching the end of the book of Acts. And there's this beautiful picture when you get to Acts chapter 27 and 28. As you look at the Apostle Paul, you see a man who, in the face of tremendous adversity over periods of time of years, was still being like Jesus. There in Acts chapter 27, he goes on a 2,000, roughly 2,000 mile journey to Rome. He, he gets in a in an Alexandrian grain ship, and as he's in that ship with 287 people, and it's out in the sea and it's being swamped, you would think, hey, the great Apostle Paul, he doesn't, he doesn't have much left to learn. There's always opportunity to grow. And he's looking to see people come to Christ, even though he's, in essence, being held as a prisoner. You can always grow in that work of the Lord in your life. That great mystery of godliness that's unbelievably, is profoundly significant when you think on it. And it's overwhelmingly important. You and I can't please God on our own. It's not about simply meeting standards. That's why this passage must be taken in that context. It's not a list. It's not a book. It isn't some kind of employment application. It's being more and more like Jesus. It's growing in those things. And only God has the power to do those things in our lives. I'm powerless to do those things without Christ in me. I know a lot of really, really good people who've worked very hard to try and be good. But as surely as they succeed in one area, they fail in another. And only Christ is the answer to those things that ail us. Those things that we fail at. The secret to being godly is to be like Christ. And so in essence, the, the who is He? It's, it's Jesus. The who is God? It's God the Father. The who is the Holy Spirit? You, you see all of those things working in me. God the Father had the plan, amen? Before the foundation of the world, He sent His only begotten Son into this world. 
that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God did that. It was his son. But also took the who Jesus. Amen? It was Jesus that said to Celestai, it's finished. It wasn't God the Father. God the Father received his son into glory. It was the same Holy Spirit that comes upon you, came upon Jesus at his baptism there in John 1. It's God working in you. It's God working in me. Very nature, he became a servant, Scripture declares of Jesus. You see, all these things are actually true of a servant, aren't they? One whose goal is to take care of someone else. Leadership then becomes about service. Because Jesus came into this world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's what he came to do. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, leading, whether it's at home or in the church, is about serving. Because that's what Jesus did. There's one thing that you can do on a daily basis. It's to serve and love other people. It's to put yourself last on that list to a large degree. We live in a world where you're supposed to be first. We live in a world that says you care about you more than you care about anybody else. That's not Christ's world, by the way. We're supposed to be other-centered. That's to have the heart of Christ. And that means you die to yourself. That means that Jesus becomes the focus of who we want to present to this world and not me, not my problems, not the things that I don't agree with, not the things that I won't do, not the things that I can't accomplish. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My own power, forget it. I'm dead. Dead in the water. I'm in trouble. I won't even get out of this building before I'll find something that I can't handle in my own flesh. The Holy Spirit working in you. Preached among the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. Received up into glory. It's very obvious that the goal is to be like Christ. To have that same mind that was in Him. That same life that was lived before us. Have you ever pondered the cross of Christ as it relates to you? I'll ask you a simple question. Would you have died for you? Would you have spilled your own blood for you? Knowing who you are, knowing what you think, knowing how you act, would you have gone to the cross for you? And I think, honestly, the answer for most of us is no. If you were standing before Pilate and you had an opportunity to exonerate yourself, and the real you would actually pay the price for your own sin on the cross, you probably would have explained it away. I would have. You probably would have figured out some way to not have to pay the ultimate sacrifice for someone else. And so leadership is defined, in essence, by putting others first in spite of whether they have earned it or not, or deserve it or not or, for a large part of the world, even want it or not. That's why Scripture declares of Jesus he was rejected, he was despised. 
He was accounted as a sheep unto the slaughter. You see, to be a leader is to be like Jesus. It's to have His heart. It's to project His thoughts into this world through His Word. It's to be His hands. It's to be His voice to people in need. It is to be like Jesus. And that's a mystery. It's hard to do. It's impossible in your own flesh. But no more glorious thing will you do with your day than to be like Jesus. And I pray that we do that. Let's pray. Father God, we want to bring this passage of Scripture again to you and just pray that you'd impart these things to our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to remember that we don't represent ourselves in this world. Lord, you saved us, you bought us, you paid for us with your own precious blood. And because of that, we now serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have the great task ahead of us each day to present Christ crucified to the world. Lord, to serve other people. To deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow you. And we pray that you'd help us to do that. We pray that each day as we walk on this earth, that, Lord, we'd find new ways to entertain this great mystery of godliness. Lord, change those things in us that need to be changed. Correct those things in us, Lord, which need to be corrected. Lord, help us to be more like Jesus each day. We bless you. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. We ask that you would raise us up into new heights as we worship you and praise you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's worship the Lord and then we'll pray for our offering. We need prayer after service. We'll be up front. saying thanks to God and what He's done in my life and what He's done in all of our lives and the fact that He is uh, bigger than anything. The glory of Your face